Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. Three follically challenged individuals talking basketball. <laughs> uh, but let's get to a serious point. Uh, Coach Vital, who uh, has basically spent a good portion of his Broadcasting life uh, beside Jim Valvano and then after Jim's passing uh, with tremendous, tremendous support of the V Foundation, raising over $40 million through his gala, uh, was diagnosed with with lymphoma cancer the other day and uh, is going to start treatment and chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, we know with his commitment, his energy, his passion, no one will fight this dreaded disease harder or more passionately uh, than Coach Vital. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with Coach. And uh, you know that we are thinking about him and uh, we're standing beside him. Jay, I know you're a member of uh, the board of the V Foundation, uh, and I'm sure you've had many conversations with Coach. It's uh, it's heartbreaking. Yes, it's beyond that. And but, you know, I'm I'm choosing in this Seth and Fonz to look at the positive of this, that early on in in Dick Vitale's diagnosis, there was major concern that surgery would be required. And so I considered it somewhat good news that he doesn't require that, that it's going to be, you know, steroidal and then chemotherapy for, I believe it's a six month treatment. And he expects to work games during that time period, uh, work around his, his treatment. So for me, that's a positive. And then when you find out that the, uh, the success rate, cure rate, whatever you want to call it is close to 90%. Uh, look, Dick Vital is one of a kind there. There's, there's nobody like him ever. Uh, he's, he's been the biggest voice and face in, in the game, uh, for a million years now, um, you know, he's not a young man. So you, you're, you're always concerned about that. But the one thing I'm not concerned about is, uh, is, as you say, Seth, how passionate he is and, and how much fight he and his family will show and how much support he's going to get from, from his ESPN family and from the college basketball community. I, I, I think, I think everybody's going to, going to be reaching out and, uh, and lifting him up. Yeah. And it's a, it's a time to really, uh, to your point, Jay, be able to reach out and, and try to be an encouragement to him in the best ways that we can, because I'm mindful of the fact that here he is, Dick Vitale, like the dude in our sport and has been for a long time. And not only does he do so much for the V foundation, but it's those side things that are really special to me about him. The little text along the way to say, you're doing a good job, young fella, uh, those kinds of things. And and when I've learned of this uh, in the last couple of days, I was like, wow, not, not, not Dick, but at the same time, uh, to both of your points, I can't think of anyone better suited to fight against this. And with all of the research that he's done, all the people that he knows, I know he'll have the best medicine available to him and can't wait to get him healed and and read that he is cancer free. No doubt. No doubt. So our thoughts and prayers are with coach. Uh, Please join us in those prayers and thoughts. I've been on a little bit of a a voyage and I I know you guys have seen some practices, but you know, the one thing I've noticed in all practice, I'm seeing everyone's running the same offense. (laughs) Every single team in the country is running four or five out. Yes. Kind of a dribble drive concepts with high spread ball screens, throwbacks, post-ups, 
guy in the dunker spot, trying to play with good pace, a better flow, not as many sets, you know, whether it was, you know, one, one of the best practices I, I had a chance to watch was watching Memphis. Uh, you got Imani Bates and you got Jaron Duran, both terrific talents, going to be very, very good players. But seeing Larry Brown at 81 years old running around and connecting with those mm-hmm. players, absolutely phenomenal. Seeing Alabama and this their style of play and J.D. Davidson, just an explosive guard with Javon Quinterly, their, their backcourt, Alabama's backcourt might be the best in the country uh, by the end of the season, how quick and explosive and their their system uh, and the manner in which Nate Oates teaches his system was terrific. Then Jabari Smith over at, at Auburn and, and uh, Zepp Jespers uh, is a transfer college of Charleston, Jesper. He might be as good an on-ball defender as I've seen. Auburn is going to be really, really good. And Jamari Smith is going to be he, – he, he's going to be in the conversation for the number one pick in the NBA draft. I mean, he's that talented, that gifted. Or, or see Ohio State with E.J. Liddell, who is going to be one of the toughest matchups in college basketball. But the thing that resonated the most with me is just every single coach has tried to play with greater flow, greater spacing, uh, more floor gamers uh, and opening up the court uh, and the stuff you guys have seen. Have you seen a similar kind of mindset and system of play? Well, I was going to ask you, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that so many coaches are are gravitating toward the same type of, of offensive scheme? I think they're emulating the NBA. I think they've watched more international basketball in a, in a manner in which the game is played. I think they're trying to pick up the pace, uh, easier scoring opportunities, play ahead of the defense make it easy on our players to read and react as opposed to run a play, which, you know, when we get into league play, it's hard to score out of a play league play. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you better have really, really good players uh, to score out of just a set in league play, because you know what? Coaches know what they're going to give, what they're going to take away. They know your sets by that time. They're going to force you out of that, whether it's a switch or whether it's uh, a blitz on a ball screen or, or whatever it is. So, I think that I think we emulate the NBA, but I think we're also emulating a lot of European basketball because, you know, as as you're talking to these coaches and you're in practice, a lot of those concepts really do come from European Olympic teams. Uh, The only team that was different and they played the exact same style was Villanova because everyone's running, throwing that one hand off the (laughs) European pass. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing. There was only one throwing in Villanova's practice. Yeah. And it was immediately addressed. <laughs> uh, and half of the teams, Jay, yeah. which I'll tell you, this is the phraziest thing. Half of the teams have what they call a Villanova drill. And a Villanova drill is literally when they pump fake, drive it, jump stop, pivot, and make a play. And they literally, Ohio State, Villanova drill. Duke, Villanova drill. And, and it literally is a drive, get a paint touch, jump stop, kick. Next guy gets a paint jump, jump stop, pivot. Jay's stuff is a lot deeper than that. And I, I remember, Jay, I think you did a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did a, a touch screen last year on Villanova's spacing and how and why and what they were doing in their paint touches. Maybe you can kind of touch on that because I thought they were at next level in terms of attention to detail. Yeah, it's basically what we did last year was was point out the how they space off of a drive uh, and also how they cut. So it, it, they're either going to cut or space. And it's so effective when they come to a jump stop and pivot 
because off of a drive, they're going to most often collapse a defense. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter how, how much you train a player, um, you know, maybe, maybe some coaches can do it, but usually you're going to go in the direction of the drive and help in the direction of the drive. And, and that's going to, that's going to open you up against Villanova to their spacing and cutting. And I think they do as good a job as anybody like those two footed jump stops pivot. Uh, it may seem old school bounce passes right, right. Uh, on the perimeter. Yeah. Um, it may seem kind of old school, but, but it works. I mean, heck it's yeah. one of two national championships and, and 30 games a year for, I don't know how many years and Jay Wright's in the hall of fame. Maybe some people ought to come to a jump stop once in a while and they'll get, hit it. <laughs> right. they'll do it. They'll do a two footed yeah. jump stop at the podium at the hall yeah. of fame. It is amazing, Jay, how many opportunities that they get once that player comes to a jump stop, how many back cuts they're able to get. Because what happens is defensively with all that movement, as soon as your man gets to a spot defensively, your tendency is to like stop and rest. And as soon as you stop and rest, boom, that back cut is going. And Seth, back to your to your point earlier, I do think it it helps with recruiting because the thing that I hear with young guys all around is they want to have freedom and opportunity to have offensive freedom. And the more space the floor is, the more opportunities that you're getting up and getting out, the more opportunities that you that you can get for one on one opportunities in transition and then with all the movement there's more spacing to be able to attack gaps and etc so I'm not surprised that the game is moving that way but that's part of the reason as a former big why I like got teams like Purdue because you know exactly where that ball is going that ball is going inside to their big guys on the interior and they're going to try to be physical with you and just beat you up the entire game so I like the that's the one thing I love about college basketball is Unlike the NBA, which plays so similarly, all 30 teams, in college basketball, we have teams that post you up. We have teams that go with four, four guard lineups. We go with uh, – sometimes even you get teams like Oregon that don't have guys over 6'6 six, six out there on the floor playing the center spot. So that's what I love about college basketball, the variety that we have on both ends of the floor. Good segue there, Fonz, because we're going to get into the Big Ten a little bit and – you see, you know, when we think about things that are going to happen in the Big Ten, like my number one storyline is Mike Woodson at Indiana. I mean, like it, it, you talk about Indiana, one of the uh, premier programs in college basketball. Mike Woodson, former great Indiana player, won a national championship, great, very successful head coach in the NBA. Uh, I think he's seamlessly transitioned to college basketball, seamlessly. Uh, he understands recruiting. Obviously, his first recruit was Trace Jackson Davis, getting him to stay. Xavier Johnson, a transfer from Pitt, a big physical guard. He brought him in to maybe solve some of their guards, guard issues. Uh, they took a trip this, this year to the Bahamas to kind of get his system in. I look at Mike Woodson. Coaching, look, the guy's coached 8,000 games in the NBA. He's got an incredible feel for the game. He's going to be able to implement an NBA-type system. He hired a good staff, Dane Fife, obviously brought him along. A former Indiana player who has great passion for the university. I think he checked every single box. I think that Mike Woodson's going to be an absolute home run at Indiana. Seth, I like Mike Woodson also, but I think as a guy who lives here in Indiana, northern Indiana, but Indiana nonetheless, I think he was the perfect guy to bring back because no matter who you brought in, if that person wasn't a guy who had been at Indiana, been successful as a player at Indiana, or even as an assistant coach, 
every coach that comes in there that's outside of the who's your family are going to be compared to Bobby Knight. And and all you almost don't have a chance to be successful because of that. I think Mike Woodson being a former player, Bobby Knight's having been a former great player at that. I think finally, finally, that'll bring some much needed emotional healing for the who's your fan base, which will allow them to, go, to move forward uh, no matter how successful he is. Yeah, the, the family thing has always been really interesting to me because usually the family gets started by somebody who wasn't in the family to begin with. <laughs> and, and that's true at, at, at every school, you know, whether it's North Carolina, Indiana, Duke, UCLA, you name it. I mean, heck, John Wooden went to Purdue. Yeah. Um, so so sort of the family thing and Indiana's uh, fan base that may uh, struggle with is probably the wrong word, but there's been a push pull mm-hmm. with the whole thing That's right. uh, over the years since Bob Knight. And I tend to think that the family thing makes it easier. It increases the skids at the start because, you know, everybody's going to say, well, he understands what it's like to be a Hoosier. He understands yes. candy striped pants and all this other stuff. But mm-hmm. then once the season starts, it, it doesn't matter whether you're family or not. You got to win. Yes. And, and that, that's sort of the whole the whole thing. And, and everybody's going to have a little bit of a honeymoon period. You know, they're, they're not crazy there yeah. uh, or, any, or anywhere else. They're going to give you a chance. <laughs> But but once you've been given a chance, you'd better yeah. win, and uh, and and then then you'll be you'll you'll be in the family or out of the family based on your win loss record. But you know my my so Seth, your storyline is Indiana for the Big Ten. Mine mine is the overall performance of the league in the postseason and how they, you know how they handle last year's sort of well disastrous postseason. I mean, yeah. so last year. 12 out of the 14 teams in the league were in the top 25 at one point in the year. Mm-hmm. We were all tripping over ourselves, all three of us, uh, about how great the Big Ten was. It's the best league. Oh, my God. I, what's going to happen in the Big Ten this week? We couldn't wait. And then they they go lay numerous eggs in the tournament. And, look, that, that can happen. I, I don't think it was an indication that they sucked overall. They just didn't play well in the tournament. And it was just one. I don't know how to explain it, but I don't think it indicated they weren't any good. But but this year, I think the league has to perform at a higher level. And I think there's going to be an edgier um, feel to the league this year. At least I hope so. And hopefully more edge when they get to the tournament, because I think they can perform at a high level this year once we get to postseason. And and to your point, Jay, I I think it helps. You're talking about a league that, only returns three of their players that were all conference players from last year. And that attrition can kind of bring your league down. But I think the league as a whole has done a great job, both the recruiting high school ball players and going into the portal of replenishing. And I don't think anyone benefited even more than Illinois because everyone was on edge with Kofi Coburn initially declared for the NBA. And then all of a sudden he's in the transfer portal and he goes back. And so you take a team like an Illinois who initially without Kofi Coburn is nowhere near being in the top 25, not even top 40 for that matter. And all of a sudden he's back in the fold and you talk about an edge, bringing a guy back like that, who, uh, who's an all American an absolute stud on the interior uh, given his size, and now he's a veteran. He's got a voice out there on the floor. So now, even with all of the, the attrition, now all of a sudden you get guys, a few guys coming back, uh, you get some transfers in, and I think this is going to be a very deep league. I don't think there will be 
as good in the top four or five as they were last year. But I think this is going to be an incredible league with Michigan State. I think getting back to who Michigan State was with the point guard that they've had transferring in. I thought that, like, to me, Brad Underwood, I mean, he gets Williams back as a, as yep. a as get using his fifth year. He gets Trent Frazier back, who's an yes. elite defender. And he gets Andre Corbello back, who yep. plays with incredible, incredible passion, who is a mm-hmm. creative offensive player. I mean, he gets four guys back that played major minutes, two of them grad, basically grad fifth-year guys. Yeah. Kofi, I, like, to me, I don't think Illinois takes a step back. Right. I think Illinois, and I would assume it was a great, great class. Yes, yes. But I'm not sure they take a step back. I think they're going right. to have toughness. They're not flying all, around, all over the place, extending their defense anymore mm-hmm. or keeping everything in front. But I think Corbello has a chance to be yes. a superstar. Yep. An absolute superstar. So, like, I'm – I got to be honest with you. I'm really, really high on Illinois. Same. I think the addition of uh, Alfonso Plummer coming in from Utah gives them an additional score out there, which gives them much more balance on the perimeter. I agree with you, Seth. Okay, who's your sleeper? Well, I mean, as a sleeper, I think Maryland. Uh, Maryland and Michigan State, because I think Michigan State is undervalued. Um, you know, they not only have Tyson Walker coming in as a transfer, but they got A.J. Hogard back. And I think he'll be much better. Um, I think Joey Hauser will be much better than he was last year. And then they've got a freshman, Max Christie, who is uh, one of the, I, I think, one of the three or four best incoming players in the league. Uh, Caleb Houston of Michigan is probably would be considered the best. But um, but I, I think Michigan State will get back to being, um, you know, like they, they've got an underdog feel to them, even though they're top 20 good to start the season. And last year they were top five. I mean, they went and beat Duke and we thought, Hey man, look out. And they, they never really, it was always kind of sputtering. And some of that was COVID. I think, I think a lot of issues that teams had last year were, were because it was a weird year. It didn't help. Uh, It's not an excuse, but maybe a a reason. Um, But I, I agree with you, Fonz. Like I think there are three teams that to me stick out as final four caliber good. Purdue, I think, is the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, I would put right up there, uh, maybe just a notch below Purdue to start. And yeah. then and then I think I, I agree that Illinois is going to be in that mix before the year's over. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, I agree with you on Michigan State. Uh, just in talking with Tom, he says Max Christie's as good as any freshman they've had in terms of being mm-hmm. able to make shots score. And we know that at times Michigan State can get stuck a little bit. Obviously, Walker is – Look, they had no point guard last year. They had yeah, no point guard. That's right. Uh, yep. A program that had Cassius Winston, who could just hand him the ball and he could make plays and make the game easy for everyone else. Uh, he could score it. He could deliver it. Uh, Why didn't they I, just I, teach somebody? Why didn't they just know. teach somebody? All, all yeah. these coaches, just teach them how to do it. He's over. It's all coaching. It's not the players. It's not the players have nothing to do with it. When the players play well, you give them all the credit. When they play poorly, you blame it on the coach. (laughs) I'm not blaming anybody. They just didn't teach them. It's like, why didn't Calipari, why didn't Calipari produce pros last year? Right. (laughs) He just took the year off. He decided not to produce pros. You know, every once in a while, he produced. (laughs) Uh, How about, uh, here's one player of Michigan I think we're not talking about. Malik Hall, I think he's going to have a monster year. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I think that you, you like you see it, you see it, you see it. If we talk about like players that maybe we don't talk about, yes. I think Malik Hall is going to have a monster year. And I'll tell you, a team I think that 
we're not going to talk about, but I think is going to end up good. And I'm a big fan. I think Northwestern is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I really do. Uh, I think Nance, Bowie, Odish, those three guys can all play at a high level in the Big Ten. Uh, I, I just think that I, I look at this team. They've gotten older. They're more mature. They've got a legitimate front court player that can block shots and rebound. They've got a dynamic guard that can make plays in Bowie, and they got a guy who could score it. I, if, if I had to pick a deep sleeper, I would pick Northwestern. If I would have to pick a team to win it, I agree with Fonz and, and Jay. I think I think Purdue has all the pieces. Now, how they decide to play with the two bigs, I think, you know, like like you know, we just spent time talking about spreading the floor. Yeah. I didn't play with the two bigs because uh, Zach, he had a great, not a good summer, he had a great summer in international basketball. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Travion Williams had a great summer in international yeah. basketball. Jaden Ivey had a great yep. summer in USA basketball. But how do you play today with the two bigs defensively? Right. Starting out on the floor. I think offensively you can figure it out. I think defensively, yeah. when people yeah. put more floor gamers on the court, I think that'll be the challenge. But I think Purdue's the most talented team. Yeah. Well, so here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. You play zone. You play zone. <laughs> That's right. yeah. They can stand in one spot. They don't have to guard ball screens. Call Bayheim; he'll tell you. <laughs> and the, the other, the other thing, but before yeah. Fonz, I'm sorry I cut you off. But the no, other no, thing is, I learned something. Um, deep sleeper. I had never heard deep sleeper. That sounds like something <laughs> in a gangster movie. We're gonna make this guy a deep sleeper. They'll never <laughs> see him again. If it weren't for you guys, I'd be a deep sleeper right now. I was going to say, exactly. Hey, these 7.30 a.m. tip-offs, I'll tell you what, they they are impacting Fonz's deep sleep. I know that. I'm struggling. Fonz went to bed at 5.30 (laughs) a.m. That's what you're talking about, Purdue, is uh, you you can't play those two bigs together uh, for extended minutes. You you can't. You'll get exposed. You'll get exposed on the defensive end. But I think for Purdue, for Purdue to win the regular season title, Jay, they've got to shoot it better from the perimeter. They didn't shoot. They, if I remember correctly, they were 32% from the uh, three-point line last year. And so in order to give those guys enough room on the interior to be able to operate, you've got to be able to spread the floor. That'll open up driving lanes for Jaden Ivey to not only get in the lane and score for himself, but to make plays for his teammates. So I'm looking to see, can they shoot it at a better clip? I think for them to win it this year, they're going to have to be around 35, 36% in the league uh, to be able to win the regular season title. Let me ask you this, both of you guys. We haven't even mentioned Ohio State, and they are as, there. as an old as old a team as there is in the Big Ten with yeah. Hill, with Liddell, who who yep. who had an incredible incredible practice. Um, when you look at that team, and, and they got a guy named Malachi Branham, who's a freshman, yeah, yep. who is dynamic and really going to be a very very good player. Give him another score. Where do you guys see Ohio State? Because I I see him. As a team that's really hard to play against, they've got legitimate size up front and depth up front. They've got yep. experienced perimeter players. Uh, they get the Wheeler kid from Penn State, who's a very, very good on-ball defender, yep. uh, which will help some. Uh, where do you guys see Ohio State? Because I think they're a team that I don't know if they're under the radar because they, they they shouldn't be. And Liddell could be top four player of the year in the conference. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the addition of Joey Brunk from the transfer from Indiana is going to help out EJ Liddell a lot. Think about it last year. 
uh, they were really thin across that front line. So he had to play some, he not only had to play four spot, he had to play the five spot at times. Now with Joey Brunk there, he'll be able to play primarily at his four position, which of course he's a matchup nightmare because you put a bigger guy on him, he can step outside and he can shoot the basketball. You put a smaller guy on him. He, he's just, <laughs> he's a killer down in the low block with this physicality and this bounce off the floor can finish with either hand around the rim. So I, I know that they've made some great additions on the perimeter, but I thought Joey Brunk bringing him in, if he could be healthy, gives them a bit more depth across their front line. They'll be very good in their front court. The question to me will be how do their guards perform? Yep. But Ohio, Ohio State, I would put uh, in the top five. But the question I have is, are they significantly better than Michigan State will be or Maryland will be? And so, but, it, you know, there's part of this that, that doesn't really matter because, you know, seven or eight teams at least are going to go to the NCAA yes. tournament. Yes. So where they finish in there in an unbalanced schedule is just how good are they going to be? And and Liddell gives them a chance. Like he's a, a, a Big Ten player of the year caliber yes. player. Yes. And, uh, you know, to be, you know, he was two times Illinois State player of the year in high school. Last guy to do that was Jabari Parker before him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's legit. He uses fakes really well. Um, yeah. But but their guards have to perform at a high level. That That's really going to be the, the issue because they lost some good guards. Yeah. Right about it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Maryland and uh, Wahad obviously is going to give him a little inside score, but that frees up Dante Scott to play his, his natural position. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, he's another guy that, I mean, he, he's a tough, between him, uh, Scott and Ayala, those are two really tough, tough matchups. And Fats Russell can orchestrate, yeah. put pressure on the defense because he can score, but also give up a little bit of himself. I I agree with you, Jay. I think I think Maryland has a chance to be good. So, how many NCAA tournament teams? Big Ten. Seven to eight. 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 See, I, I I had eight, but I said I'm I'm, I'm going to say Northwestern sneaks into this number nine. I, you know, just kind of going. I got Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Purdue. All right. I actually have Rutgers, who we didn't mention, uh, who. Supposedly had a secret scrimmage the other day. Played very, very well against Villanova. I don't know how secret it was, though. Uh, Secrets out now. And maybe maybe Northwestern as a night. I mean, you guys pretty much the same. Yeah, it's it's just a question of how many many quality games Northwestern wins in the non-conference, and then can Mm -hmm. they back it up in the conference and and get in the tournament? I mean, it's going to be very difficult in that league. I mean, one of the great things about the Big Ten is you've got a lot of high-value targets throughout the course of the year. And then one of the bad things is you got so many good teams you got to play. Those yeah. high-value targets can beat you. And if you get beat up and, and on a on a rough patch, you know, go through a rough patch, you can, you can stay with it for a while. But uh, I still think it's – I mean, I think it's going to be the best league in the country again this year. Yes. Um, yeah. But 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 they were the best league last year, and look what it netted them. Uh, a whole lot of nada. So they got to play better <laughs> in the postseason. Yeah. All right. Pac-12. Bonds, what's your storyline? Look, I, it has to, in my mind, start and end with UCLA. I mean, you're talking about a team that, I mean, they were a first four team that made a run to the final four last year. I mean, historic in terms of those implications. And they bring all five of their starters back. 
with an opportunity now to not only make a Final Four run again, but an opportunity to win the national championship. And as you talk about, as we think about UCLA, we've not been able to say that very confidently over the last several years. And, and there were even some questions about was Mick Cronin the right guy for the job? Well, I think all those questions have been dispelled now. They'll, they'll be one of the best teams in the country uh, throughout the year. And as Jay Bella said last week, we're going to talk about those guys a lot over the course of this season. Well, once again, Seth, uh, we talk about Fonz being an incredibly nice guy, and he steals what I was going to say because my storyline was UCLA and only UCLA because the, the Pac-12 has really good teams, and it's going to be a good league. But to me, the story is going to be UCLA. Uh, Mick Cronin has gone in there when, honestly, when he got the job, uh, from Cincinnati, I was thinking, I thought I grew up there in, in, yeah. in the shadow of Westwood and thought, I don't know how if he's going to like this or if it's going to be a great fit. And he's been awesome. Um, yes. And, and you know, I tease I, I tease Mick all the time and have since he was at Murray State about his size. I'm, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm a lot bigger than Mick is. <laughs> So whenever I do like a speaking engagement or something and he's there, I make fun of, of how small he is. And, and so I'll tell you a little story about this. So when he was at Cincinnati, we, we, uh, McDonough and Rafter and I were coming in to practice one day and I'd always tease Mick about inch for it, you know, being the best coach in America, inch for inch and all this stuff. And, uh, and, uh, and having, you know, the only coach in America whose bobblehead doll is actual size. And so when I, when I come into the arena, he had had a headache that day. So his trainer is giving him a couple of aspirin and, uh, and, and he was taking, you know, uh, putting the aspirin down with a, a, a tiny little cup of water. And as soon as I walked in and he's holding this tiny little cup, he goes, Oh my God, you're the last guy that needed to see this. <laughs> but he has done, he has done an extraordinary job with that program to make yeah. them tougher Mm -hmm. uh, to expect to win, yeah. to get rid of, like, I think at UCLA over the years, there's been a feeling of playing pretty and they don't do that under Mick. They, and, and last year they weren't expected to do what they did. Mm -hmm. And, but, but this year they are. So this yeah. year, like all the banners, all the UCLA banners are kind of on their backs this year. And now, and that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Can they do it being expected to do it, not out of the first four, which, which Fonz, you're right. It was extraordinary, but I think it's a different thing when you're doing it as the top dog. Really? That's going to be so much fun to watch. Look, the more they win, the more we get hep, his dad. I mean, who was yeah. like basically the darling of the yeah. tournament. It was, it was, it was almost painful watching him be helpless. You know, you, you talk about that, their, their numbers in the tournament so far outperformed their numbers during the season. Mm-hmm. Especially offensively in terms of, yeah. uh, and let's face it, Jaime Aquas is, is a terrific talent, but Johnny Juzang was absolutely phenomenal in yes. the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, can they continue to perform at that level? You know, they're going to, Mick's going to get him to play hard. That's just who he is. I'll tell you yeah. the, the things that are, are, are impressive to me is that they've gotten better. Miles Johnson is going to help him. Yes. He'll be better. Peyton Watson will help him be better. I mean, those are two yeah. guys that are adding to the mix. Yeah. And finding the combinations with those guys, I think, is going to be important. Uh, the other thing is just there's a different expectation. And, uh, you know, will that be a burden or will they embrace it? Uh, I would think with Mick, 
they will embrace it. I think that, you know, that's why he went to UCLA. That's why he wanted that challenge. That's why he wanted to be part of it. And then finally is UCLA kind of like maybe Indiana and other places, they eat their own. Mick has done an incredible, incredible job of being inclusive and putting his arms around the main, the main voices of UCLA basketball, whether it's uh, Kareem, whether it's Walton, whether it's, you know, all the former great players. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that I think they're going to handle the, the pressure. We're going to see it early in the season. I think, Jay, you're due. I think you're doing that UCLA uh, Gonzaga game. But, you know, we're missing the other big storyline. Tommy Lloyd, Arizona. I mean, to me, that's I mean, like Arizona is one of the great brands in college. basketball. Yeah. All right. It's a it's a, a national championship caliber program. Tommy Lloyd, who did an incredible job for Mark Few. Uh, building a great brand and a nationally prominent basketball program at Gonzaga, uh, his first head coaching job, obviously more than ready. He inherits a team that has a lot of the DNA of a Gonzaga team. Good point. A number of international players, a number of – he's got good size, he's got good skill. The Trebellis kid is very, very good. Trebellis uh, is very good. Uh, the Matherin, uh, by pronouncing it correctly, is you know, talking about a six foot seven inch guard who can make plays and pass it. Uh, the uh, the Kirk kid who who I thought, uh, you know, missed early in the season because of eligibility issues. They got him mm-hmm. eligible. I mean, they've got a really interesting lineup: legitimate skill, legitimate size, uh, 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 players that will fit. The, the the system and the style that we've seen Gonzaga be very comfortable playing. Yeah. Uh, what's your guys' take on Arizona, uh, Tommy Lloyd, and the team he's inheriting and is added to? I think they're a top three team in the in in the pack. I think they're an NCAA tournament team, and I think they're a team that I think is going to be in the conversation all season long. Yeah, I definitely think they're an NCAA tournament team. I think they're deep and talented on the perimeter. You've already talked about Matherin and Krissa, Terry. Those, those the, the, the thing I when I think about Arizona is I always think about their, of course, their front line because I'm a big. You, know, you talk about Azulis Tabellas. Azulis Tabellas has the potential to be a first team all Pac-12 dude. I mean, at 6'11", the Lithuanian can play with his back to the basket. And he can shoot it. Christian Coloco, seven feet tall, shot blocker, floor runner. And they have, again, a deep and talented uh, perimeter. Uh, I, I it, It's interesting because when I think of uh, Coach Lloyd uh, compared to Sean Miller, they're, they're like polar opposites. Sean Miller's a little bit kind of guarded and, 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 and can be a little bit of offense, offensive with his, with his personality. But Tommy Lloyd is like an engaging, all-in, energy uh, kind of guy. And, and I think that I think he's the perfect guy. If they want to make a change, I think Tommy Lloyd is like the perfect guy to be able to take Arizona in a new direction with positive energy, encouraging, yet challenging his kids. And I think you're exactly right, Seth. I think they're definitely an NCAA tournament team. I have them in my top five in the Pac-12. Yeah, Tommy Lloyd was a great call for Arizona, and it was a great call for him to leave Gonzaga and not go within the West Coast Conference like so many uh, other, you know, sort of Gonzaga assistants have done, which is a great way to get fired because you have to go against Gonzaga all the time, be compared to them. <laughs> um, I, you know, Seth, you mentioned uh, Kirk Kreisa, who is from Estonia. 
and was actually named after Steve Kerr without knowing the Arizona connection. His parents wow. named him, at, you know, basically after Steve Kerr. Uh, but he's really competitive and can really shoot it. And so having having a guy that can shoot it, Dalen Terry is another guy with that team that that with his length and athleticism and another year of experience. Uh, I think I think Tommy Lloyd has some pieces he can do some things with, and he's creative offensively. So they're going to be a little more wide open. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to get up and down the floor a little bit more. I mean, one of the things I've enjoyed most about Gonzaga over the years, you know, we've all talked to Mark Few a million times. And, you know, I, w- I would always ask Few about the way he plays. And, and he would always say, we're going to play a style that I want to watch. And I don't want to watch us pound it into the deck for 35 <laughs> seconds and then throw up a shot. And so we're, we, I want to play fast and pass and cut and watch the ball move. And, and Tommy's the same way because they, they all, they came up with that stuff together. That wasn't just Fuey. Uh, it, it was, a, it was a lot of Tommy Lloyd's influence too. How come uh, Kirk Chris's parents didn't name his, why, why is, why isn't he Jay Chrissa? It should have been Billis Chrissa. Yeah. And that, that, yeah, that had a nice ring to it, but it, it was too close to, to they, they, and then the Tabellis family thought about that too, going with Billis Tabellis. I like it. Because uh, like that would have been, think of how beautiful that would have been and what a better player he would be. And, and Azulis is a good player now. He's going to be really good. He's a yes. Yeah, You got the kid, Justin Kerr, also transferred from Georgia, by the way, George Mason, another guy who can make shots. They got a lot of shot makers. Yeah. I mean, you know, Justin Kerr and Kerr Chris, I mean, just Tommy Lloyd, he's going to definitely, without a doubt, at some point during the course of a timeout, he's going to call one of those guys by the wrong names. Yeah, and, and the other thing is he won't wear a tie. He will not have a tie no, on. There will not be a tie on. There will no not ties. be a tie Now, that's a, that's a news flash because Big East voted no ties. ACC voted no ties. I think across the country, ties are out. I didn't hear. I didn't know that. So, no, they, they took votes on whether to wear cravats. Wow. Yep. Yep. My and, God, uh, the Ferragamo and, company is going to go shoot way down now. <laughs> I'm selling, I'm shorting, I'm shorting the tie industry. The tie industry <laughs> is way down. Uh, it's, uh, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, like, and, and interesting, when I found that out, I had to ask, you know, delve into a very, very, you know, difficult question for Jay Wright, and he was all for it. What? Well, I mean, but isn't the issue, though, I mean, the tie thing is awesome. I'm glad to hear that because uh, although with some of these old dudes, I'm not sure I want to look at any of our necks anymore. But <laughs> what, what what is like, why can't they just vote on wearing um, uh, the stuff they wore last year? Like go with the, the, the half zips and the, the golf shirts. That's what, That's what they're doing. So they're oh so it's it's like it's not just a, a coat and uh, and no tie so they're going yeah, no. they're going cash yeah yeah wow. no, total, total cash and and in a, in a somber note uh, Jay Wright's tailor and it is said had had passed this past year and like oh no yeah and and he actually says you know he feels good kind of as a tribute to nice his guy that he's happy that they've done this uh, which is you know. Typical Jay, you know. Yeah, that's cool. So so to get use out of all those suits, is he wearing them during, is Jay Wright wearing them during practice? No, you know, but that's the other thing about Jerry. They have the nicest gear in the history of college basketball. (laughs) They have have like, they like, you know, you know, helmets are big. The changing of helmets and and football uniforms are big. Let me tell you something. The Villanova gear and the Villanova equipment room. I don't know what their budget is. Uh, two national championship, probably whatever they need. 
I mean, I've never seen I've never seen more gear in my life. I mean, it, it's the craziest thing in the world. Very, very well dressed practice. Yeah, yeah. You're sweating your ass off. Right. You know, like I had a well, that's probably why I'm sitting talking to you guys. But I had like a face <laughs> pullover. Sweatpants. Uh, I had three sets of them, Jay, but I wore the same thing every day. No, I watched them once a week. So yeah. how much Villanova gear did you walk out with? That's the key question. No, I, you know what? I, I didn't, but their equipment room because of Jackie G occasionally <laughs> drops a box off. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, I went around all these places, nothing at Memphis, nothing at Kentucky, nothing at nothing. Ohio State, nothing at Villanova, nothing, nothing at Alabama, nothing at Auburn. You know, I mean, it's it, it's unbelievable. Uh, I just the only thing I walked out with is tremendous knowledge. Well, how about how about you got to tell us about your visit with Nick Saban when you went to Alabama? I was petrified. Really? <laughs> this true story in, in my lifetime, like just being flat, just nervous. I was head coach at Long Beach State and Pat Riley came to watch Brian Russell and Lucius Harris. And I can tell you, you know, and after he kind of came over and wanted to talk. I, I don't know what what I mumbled, but I, I you know it was a conversation that literally made no sense. I was like, Pat Riley sitting here watching practice. Like I mean, like, thank goodness I wore dark sweats that day. It was a little nerve wracking. Uh, and the second time, Nick Saban to me is is the standard. And uh, you know, it, what, the interesting thing about me with Coach Saban was that uh, so he comes over and says hello, and they just. They, they, I guess the, a big thing for them is obviously owning the fourth quarter and owning the second half. And so, you know, so I say, you know, coach, it's hard to meet you. Uh, incredible what you've been able to establish. Uh, you must really like your team. I got five minutes of we can't win the damn fourth quarter. It's one thing we need to do. We need to win the fourth quarter. Second half, we could play too good. I mean, the game isn't two quarters. I mean, if you can't finish a game, how are you going to win a game? You know what? This team, they don't get it. They just, I mean, he sounded like one of my old-time rants when somebody else has your team. We stink. We're never going to win another game. <laughs> I'm, looking around, I'm looking around the facility. There's 135 players on their roster. 135. There's 8,000 stations, you know, that they're working at. Uh doing walkthroughs actually before the Texas A&M game. So, you know, I'll never be invited back to Alabama again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, it, it really was, I mean, it, the whole setup just blew me away, but literally, you know, I wished him luck and, and, and he went into practice and it took about 10 steps. And one of the defensive stations that they were doing to cover some action, uh, you know, uh, play action stuff, a guy did it incorrectly. Now, it was like me on the bay, like 94 feet. It's like where you start, but where we're, we're sitting on the other end waiting and like watching. It was further than that. And he saw it and it was like, bam, you can't do that. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. The whole setup was unbelievable. Uh, you know, the facilities, but uh, the, the the total control of the environment uh, when he walks, once he walked into that practice facility, you, you could feel it. I mean, every single person in the in the building could feel that. Here it is. Uh, it, it was pretty impressive. Uh, as was Nate Oates. I got to be honest with you. You know, we're going to talk SEC in a couple of weeks, but Nate Oates' practice 
the pace of his practice. I sat in with Nate Oates' film session. Uh, each assistant coach had an area where they kind of focused. And uh, I thought I thought his film session was really, really good. But uh, Nick Saban is a guy to me, a, a, as a guy that coached one time, this consistency and the success and the manner in which he's done it and the number of coaches he's rehabilitated to give them a second opportunity. If you think about just a list of guys that have, have, have walked through that door, maybe a little bit beaten and and whether it's on their own doing or but you know, maybe they had tough jobs and the opportunities that he's presented them. He's developed great players, but he's also rehabilitated more coaches probably than any coach in America. Uh, so yeah, it's a military, it it's a military style operation there. And he's as good a leader as I've ever seen. Oh, I was there for a couple of days a few years ago and was blown away. But Alabama as, as an institution has it going on. All their, you know, all their facilities are new. Um, and Nate Oates is doing a, a bang up job. The, the, the team he's got, they're going to be heard from. I thought they were final four good last year. They're going to be equally as good. I think this year in a different way. They've um, got to upgrade their basketball practice facility. They need some work. Uh, they will, but, but, uh, and the they got the money. As we're talking about facilities and all that, I mean, we can't afford getting back to Oregon here with Dana Altman. I like that, Bonds. Good segue. You know, they struggled with size last year, but this year they got four 6'11 guys. Uh, And finally, Dante obviously was injured uh, toward the middle part of the season. He's back and healthy. Frank Kapnang across the front line. He'll contribute some. Nathan Biddle is a freshman that I'm excited about. Seven feet tall, can shoot the three ball. He's got length. He can block shots. He gives them some versatility. They're, they're, Dana Altman, if he wanted to, especially with the versatility of Biddle, he could actually play three bigs at the same time, and all that of those cats are 16 or better. But it's not going to happen because he loves playing small ball. But I thought one of the big pickups for him was Jacob Young from Rutgers. He needed a guy to be able to be with Will Richardson and play behind Will Richardson who can create his own shot, keep that floor space for them to be able to drive. And my concern is, can they shoot it as, as well as they've shot it in the past with this group? You know, I, I think Quincy Guerrier is going to be great because he's a perfect Dana Altman player. Uh, you know, he's a kind of a positionless. Yeah, he can step out and shoot it. The ball finds him off the backboard. I mean, he's yep. really, really good. The Syracuse transfer, I think, is good. But, you know, to me – if you talk about sleepers for player of the year in the league, I think Will Richardson could be a sleeper for yes. player of the year in the league. Yep. And I, I think, I think you know, we saw Duarte end up a, a lottery pick of, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Will Richardson is, is a, an NBA player. Size, feel, healthy, shoots it, floor game, uh, rebounds his position. I mean, this is a very deep and talented uh, roster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, David Harmon's going to give him another shot maker. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think Oregon is right there with UCLA. Uh, I think Arizona is right below that group as the three best teams in the league. Well, the other team that, that could sneak in there is USC, because yes. even though, even though they lost Evan Mobley, um, they have Isaiah Mobley back. I think he's a first team all pac 12 performer. Um I, you know, Drew Peterson, I think, is back, who's mm-hmm. the transfer from yes. Rice, who's an older yep. player and a playmaker yep. at his size, uh, can pass it. Uh, and then Boogie Ellis um, is is eligible and, and playing, and he can really score. 
you know, he was originally supposed to go to Duke, wound up in Memphis. Um, he's he's a very talented player. And in that crew, um, I think is going to perform at a really, really high level. The question is going to be, you know, are they uh, are they going to be able to defend at the same yeah. at the same level as they did mm-hmm. last year? I mean, you take out a guy like Evan Mobley who could block almost any shot and guard any pick and roll yeah. at his size, uh, that leaves a void. And uh, and so they're going to have to all collectively uh, pick it up. But but I think Isaiah Mobley is a is a first team all all conference performer. You guys buy the Washington State hype, like like a lot of people are on uh, on Washington State, and look, they, they they've done a great job. No Williams is a really good player. They get the kid Michael Flowers from uh, from South Alabama. Uh, they've got some experience, yeah. Uh, but you know, then you start looking at numbers, I and mean, they shot at a very low percentage. One of the worst shooting teams in the in the Pac twelve. They yeah. shot at a high percentage. Another lot, yeah. They, they they proved their guard play with Tyrell Robert. From from uh, UC uh, San Diego, San Diego, yeah. But like, are you guys buying them? Are you buying Arizona? Let me ask you: Would you are you buying them? Arizona State with Bagley returning, you know, uh, Marion Jack, uh, Jackson, the kid from Toledo who transferred, or are you buying Colorado? Who to me we never talk about enough, but it seems like you know to me that each and every year Tad Boyle does just an incredible job with his team. And he swears that this kid Javari Walker has a chance to have a breakout year at six, seven, a hybrid wing to, you know, to compliment Edmund Batty, which one of those three teams do you guys think will be that fourth team or fifth team that has a chance to be in the NCAA tournament? I would choose Colorado first because I think they'll, they'll defend at a high level uh, because I agree with you about the way Tad Boyle goes about it. Um, you know, they look, they lost a lot. They lost McKinley, right, man. That is not an easy thing to get over. He was a, he's, he's a, a, a Buffalo Jersey retired type player. Um, I'm not sure they've had anybody that important, honestly, since Chauncey Billups or Jay Humphreys uh, for what he did for the program. But I, I would pick Colorado of that group. Um, but, but I think all of them are going to be capable. It's just, are they going to be able to beat UCLA, Oregon, USC, Arizona consistently? And I think the answer is probably for all of them. No, they can beat them once, but can they beat them over and over again? I doubt it. I think Arizona state is intriguing. Uh, Last year, they really struggled having three ball dominant guards out there on the floor at the same time. Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge, and, and Josh Christopher, obviously those guys have moved on nine new players in. They returned Marcus Bagley, obviously was injured last year, uh, still 11 points uh, during his time out there on the floor. Kamani Lawrence is back. Uh, Jalen Graham is back healthy after struggling with mono, I believe, last year. And then they've had uh, four incoming transfers, Marion Jackson, Jay Heath, who can absolutely score, Luther Muhammad, DJ Horn. Luther Muhammad more of a defensive stopper out there on the floor, but with the way he likes to play, um, get up and down the floor. I think their team will be improved defensively uh, with guys like Heath and Luther Muhammad. So to your point, Jay, I don't think they're good enough to consistently beat a UCLA, uh, but I do think they're good enough to, I think the Pac-12 will get probably six teams into the NCAA tournament. I think they're good enough to beat one of those six teams. I don't see six. I I see four at most for the, uh, for the pack and, and and the Jackson kid is really, really good. I've been mean, speaking to coaches that coached in the Mac last year. They say he's a big physical guard that can make shots. I think he had like 
you know, 12 or 14 20 point games, but he, he yeah. has a great feel and he's got good strength. And, and Todd does a great job with his guys at Toledo. He's a really, really good coach. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but I see four. Uh, you know, it's hard to see a fifth guy separate. Like, could Stanford be a team that finally realizes mm-hmm. potential? They, you know, you know, where, how many teams do you see, Jake? I've got six, but it's four. It's more I'm picking numbers. Um, because I, I do think that the league is not as strong as it was last year, Agreed. but, but it's still got really capable teams and, you know, there, there are so many new players. It's just a question of how they blend together, but, but because of the numbers game of hey man, they got to take 68 teams. <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking I, I came when I was doing the homework on, it, I came up with six, but, but who, you know, it, that that's as about as big as a crapshoot as you're going to get is that league. I'll tell you what, and one player you didn't met, uh, Oregon State, who had an incredible year. Wayne Tinkle did an incredible job. Jared Lucas is one of the best shooters in college. Yes. At Oregon. yes. I mean, like, like, I mean, like, and they returned like five, uh, five of their top seven. And they they are another team kind of built a little bit like Colorado that has great substance. They're going to be able to defend. They've got legitimate size in their front court. Jared Lucas, obviously, on the perimeter can really, really make shots. You know, will they be able to get some of those easy baskets uh, off of the penetration that they got from Thompson? Uh, I don't know, but you know, the league the league will be interesting. All these leagues, you know, we're going to get going through all these leagues. Let's face it; I mean, you got to win games in non conference to to basically establish a baseline, uh, so that if you do end up beating each other up, you've got enough quality wins in the bank right. to to you know to keep your you know your Ken Palm and your RPI and everything else, your BPI at a point where you're going to have an opportunity to be an outlaw team. And, you know, I do think, and let me ask you this, just off the top of my head, do you think with all the transfer portal this past year, where a lot of those mid-major guys have transferred up, some have transferred down, do you think it'll be that much harder for a mid-major league to have multiple bids? No, because guys are transferring down too. Um, I mean, it, it, there's it, there's a lot of new uh, in some of the mid-major leagues that maybe they haven't experienced in the past before that that stupid transfer portal came in. And I'm for players being allowed to transfer. I am not for the transfer portal. I think it was a stupid way to go about it. Um, but but it's here to stay. So the coaches that are complaining about it need to stop because it's it's you know there are two things that are not changing: players transferring and nil. I mean, those horses are out of the barn and not coming back. So don't complain about it anymore. It's a waste of your time. But I'm not worried about the mid-major level, um, sort of this idea that their players are getting poached and how can you win when you can't build a team type of thing. Uh, I don't buy that. Um, They're all competing against one another. Um, and, and we've got a number of good, really good mid-majors this year, yeah. which goes against the theory that the, the portal is going to devastate that level. It's just not going to. The only thing that will is decreasing the size of Division One. That's yeah. what, what would hurt it. And that's where ultimately we should be long, long term, because there's no way 354 teams can be competitive with one another. It's just not it's not possible. Well, they're not, though. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, like everyone says, we need to have a level playing field. There's never been a level playing field. Right. Never. Yes. And like, well, you know, even with the NIL, so, you know, we got to make it. No, here's the deal. I mean, like, 
you know, certain schools are flying charters, certain schools have practice facilities, Correct. certain schools are paying five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars. Certain schools are having different mm-hmm. accommodations, uh, are feeding their guys, you know, eight thousand times a day catered meals. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, so yeah. I mean, like you can't legislate, you know, a level playing field. It's just it, right. it's it's impossible. So like I think schools are gonna have to decide do they want to be in and conduct their business in a certain way. We can still be in yeah. civil tournament. Mm-hmm. It's just that some people are going to, you know, I think eventually what's going to happen is it's real simple. Do we take the 68 best teams or do we still have the automatic bids? If we still have the automatic bids, the people that that aren't going to conduct their business like the top, say, 100 programs, you're, you're at a disadvantage, but you've always been at a disadvantage. Yeah. To me, the biggest question before we before we go, the biggest question, you know, I've noticed, Seth, you have probably a thousand books behind you. Of in those, how many of those books has read every one of them? I was going to say, how many of those books have you read or even cracked? Wait a second, those books have you? I have to admit, I I can't. But the ones, if I move this over a little bit, the ones on the bottom shelf are all Uh basically motivational books. Those I actually have your book here also, but I will not put it in a very prominent place. (laughs) (laughs) I still think you're avoiding the question, though. Did you read that? I can tell you everything on this bottom shelf here. A little John Gordon, a little little Good to Great. Got Jay Will's book there. I got your book there. I got got Patino's books. Um, Everything down here has been been read. And then I have... uh, that's about it. All the rest of them. Oh, up here. Yeah, we've got and up here. I don't know, about 20 of them have been read by Seth Greenberg. Yeah, yeah. Fonz, I was gonna I was gonna interrupt Seth and say it was a math question, not an essay question. I know, but that's your new favorite line now. <laughs> see, I just can't wait for, for Reese to ask you a question <laughs> and you start pontificating to the point and I'm just gonna go. You know, it's almost like Hey, it's a math question. It's not. <laughs> That's my favorite line on the first tee when somebody's asked what their hand, you know, what their index is, and they go into this long explanation. The guy goes, "It's a math question, not an essay question." Just give I've me the number. Nobody cares how you got there. Yeah, I've got to set this up better. I have to have the ACC Coach of the Year trophies a little bit more prominent. You're damn right. <laughs> you're, you're worthy of it. You're worthy of it. <laughs> well, how do we sign off this thing? I got a tea time. Uh, <laughs> Jay's got a tea time. Thank you for listening. Wherever you listen to your podcast, please download Bald Men on Campus. It is by far the best podcast in the history of college basketball. Uh, Billis is right now is playing at a very, very high level and probably giving someone a lot of strokes. So life is good for him. Fonz, go back to sleep. This is way thank you. You're, you know, you're up way too early. And yes. Taylor, thank you for putting up with us. Do you have anything to say as we close down, Taylor? Because you always give us words of wisdom. Seth, I'm a little bit shocked. You're the, the coach whisperer, but you're going to these campuses and you're coming home empty handed. No quarter zips, no hoodies. I'm a little bit. Here's that, the thing. If you're going to be a coach dude. whisperer, you can't walk around with your hands out. Your ears ah. open, but your hands can't be out. I kind of I mean, feel like you I'm can. not like those football game day guys that literally walk into the equipment room and take sneakers and, and you jerseys. You should be. You should reconsider. I mean, you could you could go into the student store, but you'd have to reach for your wallet. No, no that's not happening. Why would I? Walk in Here's the deal. Why would I go into the studio and spend my hard earned money to buy something that I'll 
right. hardly ever wear or I'll just sweat it. Eventually I will break down and call one of my guys and say, I need some, I need some dry fits. I, you know, my dry fits. <laughs> I mean, Billis, it's not like, see, Fonz probably pays for his stuff, except yes. that Billis, I know that like you get, you're on the, the, the A package from Duke. So you get this package from Duke every single year for all your Duke brotherhood stuff. Then I know you kind of finagle a little bit of stuff here and there. And, you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. Plus, you got to wear your Under Armour stuff. So, I mean, my hand is out. I don't, I don't deny it. I, I, I like, sure. if it, hey, man, if it's free, it's me and You're I'll take three. <laughs> <laughs> you need help. <laughs>